0: Well, faith is an essential part of Christianity. Our belief in Jesus is vital for all of life. It is vital for salvation, uh, but it's also vital for our sanctification. Uh, We can live out the lives that we are called to because of and through our faith in Christ. Today, our text in Luke points out several truths for us concerning faith. Our sermon is titled, The Significance of Faith. Turn with me to Luke 17. I'm going to read verses 1 through 19 and then pray for us. He said to his disciples, offenses will certainly come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the Lord said, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Which one of you having a servant tending sheep or plowing will say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? Instead, will he not tell him, prepare something for me to eat? Get ready and serve me while I eat and drink, and later you can eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we are worthless servants. We've only done our duty. While traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee as he entered a village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he told them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And while they were going, they were cleansed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. We confess it as we do each week, as true, and we ask that you help us, Holy Spirit, to believe and help us to respond accordingly. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So the central truth for us as we're going to work through this text is this, faith in Christ accomplishes the impossible. Faith in Christ accomplishes the impossible. Let's look at verse 5 and 6. We're going to take this section a little bit out of order. But verse 5 and 6 helps us with that central truth. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the Lord said, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. So the apostles, uh, Jesus was speaking to a larger group of disciples and the apostles asked Jesus to increase their faith. Give us more faith for the things that you're calling us to do. Give us more faith for that. And Jesus' response helps us understand a vital truth about faith. It's not how much faith we have... But it's the object of our faith. What are we putting our faith in? Or for us as Christians, who are we putting our faith in? So the question isn't, how much faith do I have? But who am I trusting in? Who am I believing in? And so here Jesus uses hyperbole. He uses this extreme exaggeration to kind of make a point, And that point is... If your faith is in me, then the impossible can be accomplished. And so with that hyperbole, he says, look at this tree, the mulberry tree, which is known for a deep and complex root system, hard to take out of the ground. Look at this tree. If you have tiny faith. If you have the smallest of faith, the mustard seed was tiny. If you have just that much faith, but it's in me, then the impossible can be accomplished. And he gives that image of you could take this tree that is so hard to get out and you could just tell it to go plant itself in the sea and it would obey. Because with the smallest amount of faith, The impossible can be accomplished if it's faith in Christ. And so Jesus uses that to kind of help teach his apostles and, of course, now us about our faith. It's not that, yes, in one sense we do need to grow in our faith, and we know we can grow in our faith and our belief and our trust of God, but the amount of faith we have is not what's going to accomplish things for God. So, as we kind of work through this text on the significance of faith We're going to keep that in mind, that faith in Christ accomplishes the impossible. And we are going to take it out of order because I do believe saving faith is the first step of that. And so we're not going to take the text in uh, chronological order that it's seen, but they all tie to this idea. So the first example of faith in Christ accomplishing the impossible is seen in our salvation. Right? So the first thing that we'll see in this text is through faith in Christ we are saved. It's through faith or through believing in Jesus Christ that we can have salvation. And it's only through faith in Jesus that we are saved. So let's look at the last section of this uh, portion of Luke 17. Verses 11 through 19. While traveling to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he told them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And while they were going, they were cleansed. But one of them, seeing that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice gave glory to God. He fell face down at his feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Didn't any return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he told him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. Right? So in verse 11 through 13, we have a reminder again of where Jesus is headed. We saw several chapters ago. This was months ago as we've been walking through Luke. uh, Several chapters ago, Jesus set his face on Jerusalem or towards Jerusalem. He was determined to go and accomplish what was necessary for our salvation. And so on multiple times throughout the remainder of Luke, uh, Luke is reminding the reader. Don't forget where Jesus is going. He's on his way to Jerusalem in order to accomplish what is necessary for salvation. And so this is one of those examples. Just a reminder that he's on his way to Jerusalem and he passes between Samaria and Galilee. And there are ten men with leprosy. Ten social outcasts. Ten unclean individuals who had to be at a distance from everyone. Who had to announce to everyone that they came near. I'm unclean. Like, don't get too close to me, I'm unclean. And standing at a distance, they cry out to Jesus because they have heard about this man. And so they cry out with a loud voice to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us. Would you have compassion on us and the condition that we are in? In the Old Testament, uh, for an individual to be declared clean uh, in the Old Testament law, they had to go and present themselves. If they had a skin condition that was cleansed, they had to go present themselves to a priest to show, and they would be examined, and if there was no evidence of any more of the leprosy or the, any of the skin condition that they have, then they could be declared clean. And so Jesus tells them, go to the priest and present yourselves. Go and show the priest. And their act of obedience brought about their healing. Jesus told them what to do and they start heading to the priests, And... They are all healed as they are on the way to go and present themselves. And then verse 15 and 16, we see the kind of surprising, a surprising part. There's a much more shocking part of the story coming. uh, A surprising part of the story. Only one of the ten actually comes back thanking God, praising God, thanking Jesus for what has happened. Only one who's walking to the priest, looks down and realizes, I've been healed. Like, I'm, I'm clean. I'm whole again. And he turns and goes back to Jesus, is loudly giving glory to God and thanking Jesus for what He has done. And then the real plot twist comes. The only one to do that was a Samaritan. That would be shocking to the Jewish listeners and the the Jewish uh, crowd that's around uh, that he would point out that it was a Samaritan who came back and responded appropriately. The Samaritans were looked down upon. They were a mixed breed between Jewish and uh, Gentiles Over time, and not only that, they had distorted pagan practices. So the Jews had a strong hatred for the Samaritans, and the Samaritans had a strong hatred for the Jews. But here, the Samaritan is the one who responds like God would want us to respond. And so all ten of these individuals were unclean, this individual would have been considered doubly unclean, doubly an outcast. He's a leper and a Samaritan. And the point of that is a reminder that the impossible can be accomplished through faith in Christ, right? The Samaritan is the one who comes back. And Jesus points out with a series of questions to highlight the kind of shocking reality there. And then in verse 19, makes the shocking statement that you can go. Your faith has saved you. So all ten of these individuals were healed. But this man, the Samaritan, has come to saving faith. This man has Received salvation because he had faith in Jesus Christ. The impossible in their minds. So, one, a leper who's unclean being made clean. That seems impossible. Uh, Two, someone like a Samaritan being saved. That seemed impossible to the people of the day, but through faith in Christ, an unclean outcast can be saved. Through faith in Christ, an unclean outcast has hope. Something impossible is accomplished here. And that, of course, is true for every single one of us concerning our salvation. As I was driving in this morning, I I was reminded of the verse in Matthew where Jesus is speaking to uh, the crowd and He says that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to be saved. And the disciples hear that and say, well, then who can be saved? Like Who has a chance if someone who clearly has the blessing of God on their lives... If they don't have a chance, who else could get into heaven? And Jesus' response is, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. But God, is how Paul puts it in Ephesians, right? Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4, But God... Who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You were saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable Riches of His grace through kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. Dead spiritually. It doesn't get any more hopeless than that, right? You were dead that's as hopeless as it gets, but God has made you alive in Christ Jesus. And He did this by His own grace through your faith in Christ. It wasn't anything that we've done to earn it. And even the faith that has been placed in Christ was a gift of God. When it says, This is God's gift, He's speaking about the faith in Christ. So even faith in Christ was a gift from God. So we have no reason to boast. It's only through faith in Christ that we are saved. Those of us who were dead are now alive in Jesus Christ. The impossible is accomplished through faith in Christ. The second thing we'll see back in Luke is this, through faith in Christ, we can deal with sin. Through faith in Christ, we can deal with sin. So another impossible thing for us to do on our own... Yes, we may be able to manage things for a while. We cannot deal with sin the way Scripture tells us to deal with sin on our own, though. But through faith in Christ, because we are given the Spirit of God, we can deal with sin. So let's look at verses 1 through 4. He said to his disciples, Offenses will certainly come. But woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones to stumble beyond your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must Forgive him. Through faith in Christ, we can deal with sin. And, and this short section gives us multiple different ways for us to be dealing with our sin. The first of those is we can actually take our own sin seriously. Scripture t- talks about us killing our sin. But that's what we should do is put it to death. So we can take our own sin seriously, and so those first, uh, first two verses and the first part of the third verse. The problem is, for oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, we take our sin very lightly. We're good at taking other people's sin very seriously, right? That's wrong. That's against God. Uh, We often downplay our sins. Uh, We make light of it. We compare it to others and think, well, it's not that bad. Uh, We dismiss it or we think little to nothing at all because it's gotten so, we're so used to it. It's just part of our lives. But through faith in Christ, we can and should take our sins seriously. Our sins whether they seem really insignificant or the worst thing you could ever imagine, our sins are what sent Jesus Christ to the cross. He had to die for them. His blood was shed for them. God took our sin seriously. And so we, if we have come to faith in Christ, we should take our sin seriously too. And he talks about living in a way that causes others to stumble. Living in a way that causes someone else. The wording seems to be talking about causing someone to turn from their faith or to not be able to to come to faith because of your actions. He says, yeah, there's going to be offenses that come, but to the one who causes someone else to stumble, to the one that causes someone else to doubt and and not be able to trust God, that is a serious, grave offense. And we should take that seriously, that our lives would not be lives that would cause someone to to look at us and say, I just don't know if I could believe in the God that they say they believe. Because look at the way that they live. And so Jesus says it would actually be worse for an individual to have a millstone tied around their neck and then thrown into the sea than to be the reason that someone doubts. Be the reason that someone turns from their faith. So imagine that image that Jesus is trying to paint about how serious we should think and how grave a life of sin would be. A millstone of this time period, thousands of pounds... Up to 3,000 pounds, this giant round stone that they would use to grind up grain that would take multiple animals to move. It would be better for us if a millstone was tied around our necks and we were thrown into the depths of the sea than to be responsible for someone else not being able to believe we should take sin seriously. He he starts verse 3. Be on your guard. Guard yourself against this. Don't live in a way that's going to cause people to doubt God. To not trust in God. Guard yourself. So we can take sin seriously. We can guard ourselves against a life that would cause others to sin. We can Fight to kill sin because we are sinners. Every one of us still struggles with sin. And we can kill sin in our lives, we can get rid of it. John Owen, the Puritan from the 1800s, had a work titled The Mortification of Sin. And he says, Set faith at work on Christ for the killing of thy sin. His blood is the great sovereign remedy for, the, for thy sin sick souls. Live in this, and thou wilt die a conqueror. Yea, thou, thou wilt through thy good providence, through the good providence of God, live to see thy lust dead at thy feet. He's saying, like, with, with faith in Christ, you actually can kill whatever sins you have in your life. You will end your life a conqueror because of faith in Christ. We can deal with our sin. Verse 3, the rest of verse 3 and verse 4 helps us also think about how we can deal with sins from brothers and sisters in Christ. The next thing we can do with sin is we can confront sin in others. We don't like to do that. We've gotten to where... Uh, we often think, well, I don't know if I should say anything. Uh, or we may take the error the extreme other way, which is, I'll point out everything. Uh, I'll take everything as an offense and say this is a sin against God and you need to change. But often in the church what we do is we don't say anything. Someone has sinned against us. Someone has offended us. Someone has done something and we sit silently. But the word here says that if a brother sins against you, rebuke him. This is instruction from Jesus. Actually, go to them lovingly. And rebuke them. This was sinful. This was wrong. This hurt me. We're not good at that. Now, we'll gladly tell someone else. We'll we'll gossip about it. We'll share with everyone else but the offender. And Jesus says you can actually go to your brother and say, this was sinful, this was harmful, this hurt me. And not only can we do it, we're supposed to do it out of love. Not to try to crush them, but to help them see, I care about you and I care about our church. And this hurt And Jesus says, You can do that. You should do that. The next thing we can do with our sin is we can repent of our sins. We can repent. We can actually admit, you know what? You're right. That was wrong. That was against you and against God. And I should have never done that. And I'm sorry. I'm not going to live that way anymore. We can actually be a people that instead of dismissing sin, instead of saying, well, whatever, it wasn't that big of a deal, or I didn't mean it that way, we can actually own our sin because Christ has died for it. We can say, that was wrong, and I'm sorry. Forgive me. And lastly, we can forgive sin and others. We can forgive sin. And forgiveness is hard. At times, it does seem impossible. Some of you have endured things from individuals, and the idea of forgiveness is a weight that is too hard to think about bearing. It's like, but that just can't be right. It can't be fair, God. But Jesus says, if, if you've confronted a brother or sister in Christ... And they repent. Forgive them. And even if they continue to offend you and continue to repent and continue and continue to repent, you must forgive them. If we're going to deal with sin in the church body with brothers and sisters in Christ, we can confront it. We can repent of it. And we can and we must forgive it. And all of these things, seem impossible. Repenting of sins. Killing our own sin. Lovingly confronting brothers and sisters in Christ who are in sin. And forgiving them when they repent. All of those things at times seem impossible. But through faith in Christ, we can actually live this way. We can actually do what Scripture is calling us to do. We can deal with sin through faith in Christ. And lastly, through faith in Christ, we can have a correct understanding of obedience. Through faith in Christ, we can have a correct understanding of obedience. Verses 7-10. through 10. Which one of you, having a servant... Tending sheep or plowing will say to him when he comes in from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat. Instead, will he not tell him, Prepare something for me to eat. Get ready and serve me while I eat and drink, and later you can eat and drink. Does he thank the servant? Because he did what was commanded. In the same way, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, We are worthless servants. We've only done our duty. So through faith in Christ, we can have a correct understanding of obedience. Jesus uses this short story to kind of confront a misunderstanding that we often have about obedience. He says, think about this. You wouldn't take a servant who's been out in the field working, just doing his job for the day and then treat him raise him above the status of his master that wouldn't happen the expectation would you should just keep being obedient to what it is that you're called to do the instructions that you've given so taking that little story Jesus is trying to help us see how we think about our obedience to God and he says in the same way, this is verse 10 again, when you have done all that you were commanded, you should say, we're worthless servants. We've only done our duty. Like I'm, I'm just doing what I should do. This is the appropriate response for the God who has rescued me. For a holy God who has loved me. But we often think of obedience as a way that we kind of merit God giving us something. Now, we do this even when we confess, like, oh, I know that I'm saved by grace. Like, I know that I did nothing to earn my salvation. I know that I haven't deserved anything from God. And yet our hearts, when we live obediently, we are often tempted to think, well... Aren't I supposed to have this? Like, I've been, I've been working hard, God. I've been obedient this week. God, we live in a transactional world, right? I've done this, therefore I receive this. I paid this, therefore I get this in return. And it's easy for us to apply that to our faith. And we see that especially when the world starts to, to unravel. That's when it really, our hearts can be revealed. Like, What are you doing, God? Like, I've been trying really hard. And why is this happening to me? That's a transactional mindset. That's a mindset that's saying, I've done this. And God, things aren't working out the way I expected them to. But... Through faith in Christ, we can actually have a correct understanding about our obedience. Our obedience doesn't earn anything from God. It doesn't merit anything from God. We should just view it as, "I'm, I'm just serving God who has loved me. This is what I should be doing. This is the appropriate response because of the love that was given to me. Right? That transactional mindset applied to the faith is not scriptural. It's not biblical. Ephesians again. I love Ephesians too. Ephesians, as we continue on with verse 8 and through verse 10, we see this. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, and then that leads to a heart of obedience, God does have good works for us to do, and we should do them. We should live out a life of obedience to Him. But it's not to earn something from Him. It's not to raise ourselves up to a status that we don't deserve. That obedience is in response to the grace that's been given to us. In response to the holy and loving God that we serve. We say, "I, I can do this, I can pursue this for His glory. So we need to remember that, right? Our obedience is in response to God's grace, not to earn His grace. It's through faith in Christ that we can have this correct view uh, and correct our hearts. Each time we get trapped in that thinking of like, but I did this. And we can remind ourselves, no, that's not what obedience is. It's not to earn something. We've been reminded of the significance of faith today, right? Faith in Christ accomplishes the impossible. And if you're here today and you have not trusted in Jesus, if you're not believed in Jesus to receive salvation, we want you to know Scripture teaches that it's only through faith in Christ. It's only by believing in Jesus That your sins can be forgiven. It's only by believing in Jesus that you can be forgiven and saved and brought into the family of God. Jesus, the story of Scripture, tells us lived perfectly. He was perfectly obedient to God. And then He died in our place for our sins. So that if we would just believe in Him, we would be saved. And so if you want to know more about trusting in Christ, if you want to know more about believing in Him and being forgiven and saved, please see me, one of our elders or ministry leaders, after the service. We'd love to talk with you more about what Christ has done to accomplish this. And church, for us, uh, it's important for us to remember that, yes, it's... Through faith in Christ that we've been saved, but it's also through faith in Christ that we can live out the lives that we've been called to. And I often try to just muster up enough strength, like, I can do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work really hard at trying this. And we do have to have a heart for that, a desire to walk in obedience, a desire to live this way. But it's through Christ Because God has given us His Holy Spirit through our faith in Christ that we actually can pursue these things. And when we do that, we can give God the glory in the process because He deserves it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your love. God, I pray now for any who may be here who aren't certain about their salvation as they hear the words that they can be saved by believing in Jesus stir their hearts to believe give them eyes to see God for your church keep working in us keep leading us in the right paths, heart to full and help us remember that it's through faith in Christ and the power of the Spirit that we can actually live the lives that you've called us to live for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's time for us to prepare for communion Parents, if you have children in the nursery, we would ask that you would go get them picked up and bring them back in so that our nursery workers can be a part of this as well. And as we have been doing each each time we take communion, we want to take a moment to prepare our hearts, to remind ourselves of why uh why we're uh you know, why we're doing this, why we have hope. What God has done for us. And so Kathy's going to play for us for a few minutes. And this is a time for us to reflect and remember. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for my sins. Like, His blood was shed because I'm a sinner. And it's because of Him that I have forgiveness. It's because of Him that I have hope. It's because of Him that I have new life. And so spend some time reflecting on that. Reflect on the fact that God sent His Son for you to die for your sins. Spend some time thanking God for sending Jesus to die for your sins. Thank Jesus for His obedience to the Father so that you could be saved. And so as Kathy plays, let's reflect and let's pray, thanking God, confessing any sins that you feel you need to confess. Let's meditate now on those things. As we've been reminded of the significance of faith today, we will now take communion together as a reminder of the object of our faith, which is Jesus Christ, right? He's the one that we are putting our faith in. It's in Him that we have forgiveness of sins. It's in Him that we have hope. He was nailed to a cross and died taking the punishment of, for our sins, so that we can be forgiven. And so as we take these communion elements, we are doing so remembering Jesus and remembering the sacrifice that was made since he has the sacrifice that was made that gave us life. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this reminder. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for adopting us and bringing us in when we were unclean outcasts. Help us be in all, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Reading from Matthew 26. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, taking the Passover meal with his disciples, he institutes the Lord's Supper. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, "Take and eat it. Take and eat it. This is my body." Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, "Drink from it all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So taking your bread. This is the body of Christ given for you. And taking your cup. This is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. As I pray, the worship team will come and lead us in our closing song. Father, thank you again. Thank you for today. Uh, Thank you for your word. Thank you for communion. Thank you for this body of believers. And the opportunity for us to gather together as brothers and sisters in praise and worship of you and what you've done for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.